Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Congratulations for you folks for that's when graduating, either from high school or from college or grad school or law school or medical school. Well, you know what? They'll be looking for a job soon. If they're looking for a job, they got to look the part. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. they got a great, great line of clothing for your younger folks. And not necessarily something tailor-made, but also something custom-made. A wide variety of shirts, blouses, skirts, towels, you name it. Not towels, exactly. But you know what I'm talking about. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. They'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, the housing market here in the state of Indiana has been interesting, to say the least. And so joining us uh, in studio is our good friend, Mark Fisher, uh, formerly of the Indy Chamber, now uh, with the Indiana Realtors Association. Mark, my friend, always good to see you. How's it been going? Well, it's been two years, so it's not so new, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's going well. It's going well. Uh, so how is the housing market doing, doing here in the state of Indiana these days? The housing market remains uh, relatively strong. Uh, we are a bit off from last year, but I think the big story is uh, buyers are coming back to the market, but the inventory, long-term inventory challenges really remain uh, a top concern for us. Uh, so what's the response before these in? Okay, explain to our audience what you mean by inventory challenges. So inventory, uh, for, for us, it means how many uh, homes on any given day are for sale in the state of Indiana. To put it in context, in 2014, on any given day on our MLS marketplaces, you could have found a, up to 40,000 on average, 40,000 houses for sale across the state of Indiana. Today, uh, that's hovering around 10,000. So we've lost really about 75% of our inventory uh, since 2014. And that's really, uh, even though our sales have dipped, we're down year over year, the prices are still up because it's pretty simple supply and demand. Um, it's interesting, you talk about uh, inventory being down. What's responsible for that? Because then we had the pandemic, which caused the supply chain issues, but that was like 2019, 2020. These these inventory challenges did not uh, uh, come, you know, they didn't come to us overnight. They've been a long-term inventory challenge. Uh, home building just hasn't kept pace. Uh, we as a state uh, have seen a lot of growth. We, you know, we lead the Midwest in population growth. Um, but basically after the 08, 09 downturn, a lot of, uh, small town home builders went out of business, so you still have um, you know places in in the state that don't have the builders that can build at scale. There are certainly labor issues. There are certainly uh, supply chain issues that seem to be working out a lot. Uh, but there are also a lot of availability issues, and our growing communities looking at their regulations and really thinking about how can I help induce more home building to accommodate for the population growth, for this economic growth. Um, and really, we're seeing uh, more and more folks um, recognize the intersection between good housing policy and good economic development policy. And I want to get to that in just a second. Uh, back in uh, 2008, 2009, actually, I want to say I started back in 2006 when the housing market was on that on that precipitous that bubble. You had basically people buying homes for no money down, like you buy a stereo. It's like that's that's that's, that's right. That's not a good way to do things and it just sort of led to or, or am i just crazy here it was easy money so you know people that are predicting because you know uh demand may be off we're not actually seeing a whole lot of demand fall off again it's it's those inventory challenges um you know certainly they've tightened uh the lending regulations as a result uh so we don't we don't foresee a, a crash because those lending practices aren't as loose as they once were and okay. we just haven't built homes to scale to accommodate the you know 130,000 Hoosiers we've seen come into uh, to the state. So we're building about one house for every two jobs we're creating across the state. So again, um, 
a lot of it's lot availability, uh, labor, um, you know, and supply chains, but some of it's just n- knowing where the population is growing and getting ahead of that population growth. Uh, where's the population growing here in Indiana? So, you know, luckily we've seen population growth more evenly spread out than we maybe thought it would be, but still 50% of our, uh, of our counties across the state have lost population. You can kind of guess where that population growth is. It's central Indiana. It's northwest Indiana. Allen County is doing a great job up in northeast Indiana. You've got the two college counties, uh, you know, with uh, Lafayette and Bloomington, uh, and then you see a lot of growth around the Cincinnati and Louisville suburbs, especially the Louisville suburbs. So the New Albany area, Jeffersonville area, growing really rapidly as people look to job opportunities and lower property taxes and, and kind of a better regulatory climate uh, across the the river from Kentucky. Our guest on the program today is for the Indiana Realtors, a good friend, Mark Fisher. Talk about uh, Indiana's housing market these days. Uh, Mark, uh, you talk about property taxes. Uh, property tax bills just came out. How did property tax and assessment impact the housing market? Well, fortunately, uh, we have our property tax caps. So um, it is a market-based system. Maybe many people might have been a bit shocked to get their new uh, assessments, but the assessments are a reflection of the market. And when we've had 18 to 20% growth in some markets a year over year for two or three years, uh, you can expect that to be, re- be reflected in your assessments. Um, so I think people have... Um, should be aware of the protections that, one, the, the the tax caps provide, the constitutional tax caps, and then what the legislature's done to kind of limit that levy growth, uh, to provide some more credits on the back end. Uh, one thing that uh, they did this, this legislative session as well was really clarify what goes into a homestead. Uh, it used to be you can have your house and then one, one ancillary building. Um, within one acre, we've clarified that um, – uh, the homestead includes much more than just your house and a detached garage. It, it can include pools, uh, lawn structures. So everybody, you know, I like to do barbecue. Those guys that, you know, invest in these huge outdoor barbecue grills, that all uh, can be uh, counted in your homestead in that 1% property tax cap. So the legislature has really taken a lead on clarifying uh, what is included in that 1%. So um, if, you know, a lot of folks want to look at states like, uh, say Texas that have no income tax, but Texas also has a lot of oil too. Well, they also they're really struggling with their property tax situation. They are seeing property taxes really go out of control, and their legislature is really struggling with what to do. And it's really that balance of taxation. And uh, we believe that somebody that has uh, owns a home and has put a lot of of effort and and love and tender care in that home should be able to stay in that home uh, and not be subject to huge swings in their property taxes. Has gentrification impacted Indiana's housing market? Define gentrification. Sort of remodeling, revamping, you know, going to older neighborhoods, say like a Fountain Square here uh, in Indianapolis or maybe someplace in Fort Wayne where they you know, come in, sort of re- remodeled, re- revamped the neighborhoods. I struggle with gentrification as a broad term. You know, what is reinvestment versus gentrification? I think in small scale, in certain census tract, you've seen um, a lot of uh, AV growth as as people have put more money into their these homes. You've mentioned Fountain Square, certain parts of the Near East Side of Indianapolis. Um, can you have gentrification without displacement? I think is a big one because gentrification tends to hurt uh, the renters more than the homeowners because those homeowners are now seeing uh, big swings in their equity and the value of their homes because of property tax caps and other supplemental credits that people get. 
Um, I don't know that we're seeing a lot of displacement when you talk about gentrification. So the problem is, you know, we're about 28 to 30,000 units short, housing units short in the state of Indiana. Uh, I think that rehab and weatherization and all that stuff um, can play an important role in tackling that inventory challenge. That's why we just did a, a statewide tour with Todd Young to talk about his Neighborhood Homes Reinvestment Act, uh, basically a, a LIHTC credit for home ownership in certain census tracts, and that includes homeowner repair and weatherization. That can and should be part of the mix uh, and not just thinking about new housing development. But, you know, a lot of the challenges with, with that is some of these homes, especially our housing stock as a state is much older than the national average. Um, some of those homes that you say, man, that'd be great if, if that's an abandoned home, uh, it will never appraise for the money that you'd have to put into it. So, you know, Todd Young's trying to tackle that at the the, nat, the federal level with, with this act. Um, there's great nonprofits in town that are doing a lot of work. We've tried to work with the General Assembly to make sure that community development corporations kind of get first crack at that sheriff sale um, or the tax sale so they can, uh, before investors come in, uh, nonprofits can come in, scoop them up, rehab, put them back on the market. But to really do that at scale is going to be a challenge when we have such a huge statewide inventory challenge. Our guest on the program today is our good friend, Mark Fisher. Mark is with the Indiana Realtors Association. Talk about Indiana's sort of housing market and what's been going on these days. Uh, interest rates. Yeah. That's always, that's always a fun conversation. How have interest rates impacted the housing market? It's actually exacerbated our inventory challenge. So 70% of current homeowners have an interest rate below 4%. So we've seen homeowners have more equity in their home because of the rising values. Uh, but if you're a current homeowner, uh, as buyers have come back to the market and say you, you're looking for something, maybe you want to upscale or downscale, you're now having to absorb that new higher interest rate. And so it's been uh, the higher interest rates have exacerbated the inventory challenge by really uh, making current homeowners uh, a little bit more suspect of listing their house and then absorbing a, a new higher interest rate. It has helped uh, it, counterintuitively. Uh, we, we're hearing from our members that they're seeing kind of first-time home buyers. Yeah, I remember at, at the news conference you guys had uh, recently. Yeah, uh, one of the realtors saying that it's before you had younger people, sort of first-time home buyers, not necessarily want to get into the market. But now that because they were competing with sort of older folks, right but now with the interest rates a little bit higher, it's got in, in a weird way, sort of counterintuitively, it's leveled to scale. It, is it's kind of less in the demand, especially on the investor side, uh, those in institutional investors, but also as homeowners have kind of slowed their pace of upscaling, you know, um, that, that we have seen anecdotally at least new or first time home buyers um, kind of benefit from the from less competition now. Anecdotally, we're also hearing a lot from our members that the you know the multiple offers are coming back, um, and so there's still a lot of competition, but maybe less so than we've seen in the past two years. Uh, how does uh, the housing market impact workforce development? Well, as our national economist at uh, the National Association of Realtors says, no houses, no people, no jobs. Um, homes are where jobs go to sleep at night. Um, we are seeing great work being done from the Indian Economic Development Corporation, their partners at the local levels with economic uh, development groups. You know, we're seeing uh, record investment from the CHIPS Act and, you know, EV battery manufacturers really uh, reshoring or nearshoring and, and, and bringing manufacturing and jobs back to the United States. 
but you'll also hear those locals say, we don't have the housing stock uh, to absorb the new residents, the new jobs. Uh, we've had people uh, you know, on the border states, especially think about Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, uh, that said, we'll be selling homes across the river, or we'll be selling homes uh, in Michigan to people that are, are benefiting from this jobs investment in Indiana. So um, I think you see uh, with the Ready program that the IEDC put uh, put out two years ago, now they're kind of going on, they're going to go to round two. That first round, 42% of all the dollars spent were directly related to housing. So 30% to housing projects, 12% to, uh, uh, to the infrastructure to get ready for housing. So we've now made sure that uh, housing is a priority in the ready, this next round of ready. They, these are state dollars, so you should see a little bit more flexibility uh, on the financing of some of these projects. But clearly, housing is, is a big, important component to a long-term economic and workforce development strategy. How do we increase housing stock? Well, I think the General Assembly has done a great job. Um, they have created a, a pool of, of money to offer communities low interest loans to proactively extend infrastructure, um, get that infrastructure. So time is money. You take off the time of extending that infrastructure if a community is proactively putting it out there, take away the regulatory burden. If a community is going to put in infrastructure, they're going to want that housing. Uh, and uh, and, and it, so cost, time, uh, regulatory burden, some of that's relieving. They also created a housing TIF. Uh, so you can layer a housing TIF on top of this new area and then have the increasing AV repay that low interest loan from the state. So that's supposed to be a, a revolving loan fund. Uh, we need inventory at all levels. We we do know that we need, uh, we have a, a very acute shortage in that sub 160, let's even go to 180, that starter home, that really workforce housing. I think you see some companies like the Cook Group taking a very innovative ways of developing housing for their employees. Um, but part of that uh, House Bill 1005, that revolving loan fund, in order to access those dollars, uh, a community is going to have to go through and look at their zoning codes. They're going to have to see what are we, what kind of economy are we creating? What kind of wages do those those pay? What kind of housing development could this support? And can we get creative in increasing density? So uh, accessory dwelling units, you might call them granny flats, but allowing uh, more flexibility, more density uh, uh, is going to be critical to in looking at that housing stock. Then, then you can also look at programs like uh, repairs, weatherization, uh, infill development. I think brownfields. Um, are an important component to this. Uh, you know, Indiana is pockmarked with small communities that had an industrial base. They have, been, they have brownfields. The infrastructure is already there. So can we invest more in cleaning up those brownfields for housing development on those as well, where the infrastructure already exists? Mark Fisher, Indiana Association of Realtors, with us for a few more minutes on the program today. Uh, tiny homes. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do tiny homes fit in all this? Uh, again, we or, need, or do they at all? I think we need housing stocks. So we've heard about tiny homes. We've heard about uh, using cargo. I think the 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 true game changer and communities are going to have to better understand uh, what the current makeup is is modular and manufactured homes. And we're kind of you know kind of have a headquarters in northern Indiana that really excels at this. They're not your mobile homes of yesteryear. They're not tornado bait. 
Uh, and so there, I think that is a huge opportunity for uh, especially smaller communities uh, that are maybe have a big economic development project coming in and they need to deliver inventory quickly. Uh, I think that is a, a huge part of the solution as well. Uh, does any Associated Realtors uh, have any thoughts, suggestions, or been involved with uh, Indianapolis or Indiana's homeless issue? We have great partners uh, at the local level in MyBOR. Um, about 43% of our statewide membership is within uh, the MyBOR catchment area. Uh, so we've got you know 25 local partners across the state. MyBOR is by far the biggest, uh, and they do a, a fantastic job. They've got a, um, a active foundation that gives back to homelessness causes. Um, there are many facets, not just, you know, there is the housing first strategy, of course, uh, but there are many facets that have to go into address homelessness, mental health, uh, crisis, physical health, crisis care, uh, financial literacy. I think that's a big one that the General Assembly also pushed high school. In order to graduate from high school uh, in Indiana, you're going to have to have a financial literacy course. Uh, so we see that as um, really supporting, augmenting a lot of what groups like uh, Indianapolis Neighborhood Housing Partnership, INHP, do a lot of locally, the Centers for Working Families here in the communities. I know I know a lot of these programs because of my, my previous <laughs> life and focus on Central Indiana, but from a statewide perspective, um, you know, my board and our local partners are going to be best to tackle that because they're really closest to the communities and know what the needs of those individual communities are. I've got about a minute or so left. What do you say are the big challenges with the housing industry going to be for the next you know, six months to a year? Have I mentioned inventory? <laughs> uh, honestly, we are not going to be able to tackle long-term housing affordability if we don't tackle the inventory challenge. And understanding um, what options are out there for communities, um, what got us into this mess is not going to be what gets us out of this mess. And so we're going to have to be creative. Um, and I think the, the the partnership of what Todd Young's trying to do at the federal level, what the state's doing with 1005, and then what locals can do uh, f with, with the tools that they've been given, but also really rethinking some of their, their regulatory structures is going to be really key. Our guest today has been our good friend Mark Fisher, Indian Association of Realtors. Talk about uh, sort of the housing industry here in Indiana today. Mark, my friend, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much, my friend, for stopping by. Always glad to be here. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.